Um, I think we can all agree with this song that it's hard sometimes with all the things in life that demand our focus. Um, sometimes I forget that I have the ability to turn my eyes on what matters. Sometimes I forget in the busyness of kids and work and all the things I need to do at my house um, and even sometimes here at church that I, my eyes are focused on all the things that I need to be doing, especially in this season. Our, our eyes get so distracted. But it's good to remember that I have the ability to decide what my eyes will be set on, what my eyes will be focused on. So um, the next thing I'd like to do is welcome our speaker, Cheryl Vasso, who is a professor in the Masters of Science and Education program at Cairn University, where she has been teaching and administrating since 1990. As a kid, Cheryl spent every summer vacation playing school, so it is a small wonder that her vacation then became her vocation. Cheryl is the founder of Words of Worth, a nonprofit organization that teaches the Bible at various events, and Cheryl strongly believes that in addition to God's word, chocolate solves most of life's problems. I myself have had the privilege of hearing Cheryl speak at a previous women's gathering and was blessed by her joy and exuberance and love for Jesus. So would you all join me in welcoming Cheryl Vasso? Thank you, Carol. Thank you for having me. And tonight we will celebrate uh, the true light of Christmas. I think it's safe to say that every one of us here tonight during some holiday season has probably gone to look out at the lights, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it is uh, on a route along the way home from work, or maybe you did something a little bit more elaborate like visit Shady Brook Farm and do their safari-like uh, winding through the road in the farm and looking at the display of lights. Or maybe you did something even more exquisite than that and you did something like go to Longwood Gardens. Uh, so I uh, love to look at the lights. It's one of my most favorite things to do. And one, I brought along with me some of my pictures that I'm kind of proud of. And so this was last year's uh, visit through uh, Shady Brook. And uh, this is still also Shady Brook. And the lights are just amazing. Now, I like this collage. I'm a little bit proud of this. Uh, this was the illumination at uh, Peddler's Village, so I have a girlfriend that every year we try to go and catch the illumination of the lights at Peddler's Village and see Santa and Mrs. Claus arrive. And so we look at these lights, and they're just beautiful, aren't they? Uh, and I don't know about many people who really um, don't enjoy looking at lights. So these are uh, some lights that I've seen along the route home from my house. And uh, again, it's just amazing, the lights that we see. And yeah, the measures, right, that people go to uh, to decorate. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's really amazing how quickly the lights go up uh, once Thanksgiving arise, arise. Maybe I should say now it's Halloween. Uh, but it's amazing how quickly the lights go up. It's amazing how much time and effort and money uh, goes into putting up these lights and decorating homes. And you know, it's not just homes, it's government buildings too, and businesses that decorate and go all out and put these lights up for all to see. And so it makes me wonder, you know, what is the attraction? Because it really is amazing 
to see what the new light technology is each year. I'm looking for the year where the technology will design the lights in such a way that the plastic figures don't look dead on your lawn uh, during the day. Uh, so, but every year something new comes out. You know, whether it's the netted lights, remember when they came out, the icicle lights. Uh, and so there's all kinds of new technology that comes into play, and so I'm always anticipating, what's it going to be this year uh, that's going to attract my attention? Well, all of this attraction, as I said, uh, makes me wonder why. Why are we so attracted to light? Well, I'll give you a real simple answer right up front. A simple and true answer is because God created us to be attracted to light. That's a simple answer. Let me give you a little bit more of a sophisticated answer, still true and still under the sovereignty of God, but science tells us why God created us this way. And what scientists say is that we are attracted to brightness and to light because just like moths to a flame, it is an instinct that we have. And this instinct is called phototropism. Now, you didn't come here tonight to get a science lesson, and I'll give you a couple of big words, but this is fascinating to me because it has a name, and this is a Latin word that means light attracted. And so we are attracted, we have this instinct, and part of the reason that God gave us this instinct is for our survival. You think about it. God gave us a human visual system in such a way that you and I can translate light that we see in our environment so we can learn more about the world in which we live and so that we can navigate through that world very safely. And so if it's reasonable to say that one of the fastest ways that we learn about the world that God created is by using our sight. And our brains are always encouraging us to pursue areas where there's more light because our brains are helping us to stay safe. Think about when you have a power outage. What's the first thing you run and do? <laughs> you get a flashlight, or get the candles, get the matches, and some people maybe even do that ahead of time. This makes me chuckle a little bit because a couple of years ago when we had a real serious blizzard, uh, my parents, who were uh, 91 at the time, were in their home and they, they always lose power. And so when they lose power, and I have power, I say to my parents, I'm going to come and get you, and I'm going to bring you to my house, and you're going to be warm, and we're going to have food, and we're going to have light, and we can watch television, and we can do all sorts of things. And they say, no, uh, you know, the light's going to come on any time now. <laughs> Five days later, uh, the lights come on. And, uh, but here are my parents, so that, that, that forces me to have to go over there uh, which is not necessarily easy when you have blizzard conditions and they're still plowing and snowing out, but I'm going over there and bringing them food because they can't cook and I can, and so I'm taking care of them and inadvertently I walk into the house and there they are sitting at their dining room table by a battery-operated lantern that they had won at some white elephant Christmas party. <laughs> and, uh, and there they are playing rummy and, uh, and then they say to me all the time, they, they do this no matter when there's a power outage, they say, uh, come and stay with us. <laughs> and, I, and I said, I don't understand why you're inviting me into your power outage. It doesn't make sense to me. 
And so I try to invite them into my light, but uh, they don't come. Uh, anyway, but the brain believes that the more we see, the better our life will be. The more we see, the better our experience of life will be. And you know, many de designers in the architectural world capitalize on this instinct that we have. Designers know how to use light in such a way to place it in correctly in our homes or in our businesses so that we will use the space that we are living in or working in to its fullest extent. So I don't know how clearly you can see on the slide, but uh, you know they know how to give not just the ambient lighting that we enjoy, but the idea that I'm going to put lighting, track lighting, and put it at different places so that you will use every inch of space that's available to you. And so they have learned this. Designers have learned that simply putting light in the right place can help direct people and their path of experience and encourage interaction with their space. Even when we're on an airplane and we go through the drill in the beginning of the airplane, what do they remind us in the case of an emergency? In the unlikely event that your plane will drop from 35,000 feet into an ocean, in the, that unlikely event, uh, the exit lights will light up and uh, you'll see them along the way and you'll know how to get out. I'll be fainting, so it won't help me <laughs> whether there's lights or not. Uh, we're going to die will be what I'll be thinking of. Uh, <clears throat> So anyway, let's go back to bugs for a second because they're attracted to light too. And why are they attracted to light? Well, here's a simple theory. The simple theory is that our bugs or these moths, and you know what this is like, you come home on a summer evening and you, you have your port light, porch light on and you see all these moths just whizzing around in circles around the light. And there's a reason that they are attracted to light, because before Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, the moths would fly by the light of the moon. That's how they would navigate, and they would fly by the light of the moon. But then enter this idea of artificial light or light bulbs, and when the, a moth sees the light bulb, they think that that means that the path is clear, and so they don't know how to navigate that because it's so much closer, the light bulb is so much closer than the moon, so they have trouble getting the right angle, but they think that the light bulb means all clear, and then they kamikaze right into the light bulb and die. Another theory is that when a moth sees this light bulb, they think that it's a female moth looking for a hookup. And so the moth thinks, okay, I'm going to get lucky. And he, again, kamikazes into the light. And instead of getting lucky, he gets burnt. Okay, well, you probably heard all you want to hear about moths. Uh, but I find these tidbits fascinating. Just as I said in the beginning, I find lights at holiday time fascinating. And so these tidbits are just, uh, I just wonder about these things. But here's the deal. As I'm amazed... And as I'm wondering, and as I'm fascinated by what I see, and you too maybe at times are fascinated in the same way that I am, what we are enjoying is artificial life, light. All that we are enjoying is artificial light. Now, it's still amazing. It's amazing that God created minds in such a way that we can create all the things that we have to enjoy but there are at least two kinds of light in this world, 
And they are man-made light that I just got done talking about. And then there's God-made light that we read about in Genesis chapter 1, verse 16. And here God, he made the light by the day and he made the lesser, lesser light for the nighttime. And if man-made light is so fascinating, how much more magnificent must God's light be? And that's really what I want to explore with you tonight for a few moments to just talk about these two kinds of light, man-made light, God-made light, and the ability of both of these lights to do at least three things, to illuminate, to inspire, and to invite. To illuminate, to inspire, and to invite. Now, here's what we'll be seeing. We'll be seeing that even though both types of light can do this, they go about it very differently. Our Heavenly Father illuminates and inspires and invites very differently than man-made light inspires and invites and illuminates. So let's start with illuminate. Let's go with that one first. To illuminate means to expose or to reveal or to clarify. And artificial light does a really good job of exposing, especially our physical blemishes. I think you all know what I mean. And I think as women, that's why we prefer to dim the lights, right? We want to hide a multitude of evil. Uh, we want to uh, eat by candlelight because the dimmer the lights, the better we look, right? So artificial light does a re really good job of concealing and it can reveal, it can expose and conceal because we can control the light. And again, as I said, hide uh, the evil that grows on our faces sometimes. <laughs> a couple years ago, my mother and I were in a hotel. We were on some kind of a road trip, and uh, we discovered this lighted mirror in a hotel room that we were staying in, and it was a magnifying glass. And when I looked into that magnifying mirror, <laughs> I gasped. <gasps> like, is that what people see? Like, what is that? What's on my face? And is this what people see? Now, of course, it's magnified and it's exaggerated. My mother loved it. And, and I said, like, Mom, what are you enjoying about the hair that should be on your head that's now on your chin? And, uh, but she loved it because it helped her to get rid of those blemishes that were there. So I bought it for her. I bought this mirror for her a couple of years ago for Christmas, and now she and my father are fighting over it. Uh, so the other day I was in their house, and her mirror, which is always on her, they have a couple of bathrooms, like one a bathroom in their master bed, bath in their master bedroom, excuse me, and they have a, a, they have many bathrooms in their house. They have five of them. But my mother, where she does her primping, that's where the mirror is. And the other day I went, and it was in their master bedroom. So I'm like, what's going on? Why are we moving the mirror? So I'm ha very happy to get them another one. But anyway, you know, the, uh, the ability of that artificial light to illuminate and to reveal all these things that are growing uh, in, uh, on our face. <clears throat> well, perhaps there are some of us here tonight who uh, were afraid of the dark. Maybe you're still afraid of the dark. But as a little kid, you needed to have a light night, a night light. <laughs> 
uh, because you thought there was a monster in your room or whatever. And uh, so, you know, artificial light is really helpful. It's our friend because it can dispel the darkness because it's able to illuminate. A few years ago, I bought a mattress uh, for the first time in too many years. And this mattress can do everything but fly. <clears throat> And you might have one like it. And uh, so, you know, it comes with this frame, and I have a remote control, and I can bend it into so many different positions, and it has different massage modes. And uh, when the man came to set up my, my uh, mattress, he was showing me how all the things worked, and, you know, I saw my mattress bent in half. I thought he was breaking it. And, uh, but then when he was showing me all the dials, he said, now this button here put, puts the light on under your bed. And I said, well, why do I need a light under my bed? You know, like I'm more interested in the light above my bed so I can read, right, while I'm lying in bed. And he said, well, I don't know. He said, I don't know why it's there. Maybe it's to look, help you look for ghosts. Um, but I thought that would have been a really neat thing as a child. That would have come in very handy to be able to turn the light on underneath your bed to scare away the monsters that we dreamed were there. Well, that's the positive side of man-made light. Man-made light is our friend in that it dispels the darkness, and that's a good thing. But research seems to indicate that artificial light has a dark side. And the dark side is that we have discovered that women who work the 11 to 7 shift in a business and sit under these lights that are fluorescent or whatever type of light they're using this light interferes with our production of melatonin. As a result, it turns or causes an increase in breast cancer. So now we read reports every day about the LED lights on our television or turning off our cell phone on our nightstand and getting rid of all kinds of light because it interferes with our health and it interferes with our ability uh, to sleep well. So when we were little kids, we were afraid of the dark, and now we have to be afraid of the artificial light because it has a dark side. Well, that's what artificial light does. But when we look at God-made light, the true light that we're celebrating this season, we see that it illuminates very differently. God's light illuminates very differently than man-made light. And 1 John 1.15 tells us that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. There isn't even a dimmer switch to God's light. And we don't have to be afraid of God's light because, again, there's no fear of darkness. There's nothing dark about God's light. It's interesting that God illuminates also in a more powerful way than man-made light. One of my most favorite verses in the Bible is found in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, as many of you know, is the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. And in verse 105, we read that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I love this verse. And I love this verse because God's word is first a lamp that illuminates our very steps. 
You know, so many times we're anxious to know what's down the road, but God doesn't always reveal to us what's down the road. And maybe he's doing us a favor by not revealing what's in the future because we would probably die a hundred deaths before it was really time to experience one. And so we sometimes get involved or focused on what's down the path, but God's word is a lamp unto our feet. And sometimes really what we need to know is what's the next step? What's the next step, God, that you want me to take? What is the next step that I need to take? And instead of worrying about what's down the road, what do I need to do today? And that lamp is very powerful to light up our steps and our feet, but it's not powerful enough to light up the pathway. So if a person walks through the woods at night, it serves them well to have a flashlight with them to shine on the ground and in front of them so that their feet do not trip over a snag in the path or their shins don't encounter some kind of a boulder or a fallen log because that's what light does. It illuminates. On my way over here this evening, I saw this little light beam bouncing up and down and left to right, up and down, left to right. It was a jogger. And here they were with a a flashlight running in the dark, and it was helping them as they ran, and it was also helping others to see them on the side of the road. Well, God's lamp, uh, light is a lamp unto our feet, and it's also a light unto our path. And that's what I love about this verse, because sometimes the Lord's word, his word, illuminates our path, and it tells us what we need to be doing to keep safe and to be living in the right way. When we follow God's word and God's lighting, when we allow him to illuminate our path, then we are able to avoid certain dangers in life because God's shining light tells us how to live. It clarifies things for us. It tells us which way to go and what's the right way to worship and what's the right way to behave. And it also shows us the dangers of life that we need to avoid. I love this portion of the psalm, Psalm 109, verse 119, verse 105. So the power of man-made light and God-made light to illuminate. Well, let's talk about inspire. The second thing that both types of light can do is inspire. And to inspire means we awaken or we rally Uh, or we bring about, we prod, we encourage people. But again, these types of light inspire very differently, very differently. When it comes to artificial light and inspiration, I can't help but think of the Olympic torch. I think of the Olympic torch, which fills us with great emotion. If you watch the Olympics, it's always exciting to see the lighting ceremony and to see them run and pass that torch until that final person ascends to the torch and lights uh, the Olympic flame for the fortnight of events. So inspiring. I also think of the celebrity limelight. That also comes to mind. And in this cartoon, this man is saying that this song isn't really special to me, but it does provide a powerful showcase for my voice. So there's no sentimentality here. It's simply that it makes him look good and he's going to sing the song because it showcases his talent and his voice. 
Well, there certainly is much prodding going on here, much encouraging and action that can come about because of the Olympic tour, torch or because of the limelight of celebrity life. But what's really being promoted is self. It's self-promotion. It's showcasing of one's abilities and talents. It's putting oneself in the limelight. And oftentimes, we see that the credit for Olympic achievement or for celebrity achievement is given to the person performing rather than giving it in another direction, namely to the direction of God. You know, 1 Corinthians tells us, what do we have that we did not receive from God? Whatever talent God has blessed you with, and he's blessed us all with gifts, what can we boast of? Everything we have comes from God. If you have a great job, you have a great job because God has given you the health and the ability to do that great job. And so when we see artificial light, too many times what we see is that man is put on the showcase and that it's self-promoting. Uh, this is a, uh, I want to show just a second or two of this uh, video, but many of you may have heard of this man. His name is Carson Williams, and he was from Mason, Ohio. And he, after 16,000 lights and $10,000 later, he became an internet sensation because he decorated his home with these lights, and he's a computer geek of sorts, and he knew how to choreograph uh, the lights to the music that he played. Enough? <laughs> so you kind of get the idea. Now, if we were really to see uh, what it was that he was doing, what we would see is we would see Barbara Streisand and other Trans-Siberian Orchestra, which is what is playing here, and he, is able, uh, he was able to choreograph. Now, the problem was that people were coming from all over the country. Well, maybe not a problem to him, uh, but the problem was to the neighbors because this, his, his street was just flooded with traffic, and what was happening was that people were staring at the house, and as they're staring at the house, they're not paying attention to where they're driving, and there were many fender benders uh, uh, that were happening. So this went on for a couple of years, and one of the advantages to uh, Carson Williams, who did this, was that Miller Light, Miller Beer, uh, took his work and asked if he would allow them to use his work to do a Miller Beer commercial. I never saw it, so I don't know what that's all about, but that was part of his internet fame. And so recently, they've asked him to move his display out of the neighborhood and into a park uh, so that people uh, wouldn't be causing so much trouble in the neighborhood. But even this, I know uh, Carson Williams put this, uh, his idea on, on the internet. So you can go on the internet and look up the kit, and if you want to spend 16,000 lights and $10,000, uh, you can have the same effect on your house. Now, it's caused some marital disharmony uh, because he has to start this really early, and his wife has said, if you're going to do this, uh, you're not allowed to start before Thanksgiving. So I think that's the agreement that he has uh, with his wife. But so we see that when man's light or artificial light is inspiring, it does so in a very self-promoting kind of way where we get the glory and we get the fame. But when it comes to the Lord, and when it comes to God-made light, he inspires very differently. 
And in this verse of scripture in John chapter 3, verse 21 in particular, we see that our deeds that are good that we do are examined to see if they are for God or are they for self. Because God is in the business of promoting himself. He uses us and he gifts us and he cares for us and loves us but he wants what we do to bring glory and honor to him. So God's light inspires very differently. I think of the Old Testament and remember the time of the Exodus where the Israelites were uh, involved in exiting from their slavery. And God inspired them and provided a pillar of fire by night. And this was his way of prodding and encouraging the children to move on into the promised land. And scripture says this, and it gives me a little bit of a goose in my bump, and if it doesn't give your bump a little bit of goose, something's wrong with your bumper. (laughs) But what happens here is that scripture tells us that the light never abandoned his children. Never. It never abandoned his children. Which shows me and should show you that God has incredible compassion when it comes to us. He loves us. Well, the idea of God's light is not to give internet fame, but to show off, once again, our good deeds, which bring glory and praise to God the Father. So the power of light to illuminate and to inspire. Let's go to the third ability of light. And let's talk about the power of light, both God-made and man-made, to invite, to invite. Again, both lights do this very differently, but to invite means to attract, to beckon, to call. And who of us has not gone in search of a searchlight in the sky? I can remember as a little girl, the first time I ever saw a searchlight in the sky I was in the car with my family, and I said to my dad, what is that? I was so afraid. I didn't know if it was aliens. It it scared me. And it was the first that I learned what the purpose of the spotlight or the searchlight was to do. And if you've ever gone after them to see what the source of of the searchlight is, you might find a car dealership that's opening. You might find the opening of a new store. Uh, You might find uh, a a new McDonald's, which is uh, going to give you an opportunity to eat a lot of free food. So oftentimes, there's a grand opening that's at the source of that searchlight, and you have an opportunity to either get free things or to buy things at reduced prices. And so again, you know, here's McDonald's. That's where I would go uh, and get free chicken fake McNuggets. Uh, but then we here we have the true light. The true light also inv- invites. Our, our Heavenly Father's light also does invite, but invites very differently. The true light of, the, of Christmas, the star in the sky, which beckoned the wise men that we read about in Matthew chapter 2, this light beckoned the wise men to come to Jesus. And it was a light that invited them not to buy gifts at a reduced price, but to present gifts to Jesus, to worship him, and to glorify him. And that was the greatest light show ever. That was the beginning of the greatest light show ever. The beginning of the life of Christ, who has come to be the light 
and the salvation of the world, the light savior who lovingly attracts and beckons and calls us to come to him and freely receive his gift of everlasting life. That's one invite. Our Heavenly Father invites us to come to know his Son and to accept freely the gift of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for all sin so that the penalty for our sin would be paid and that we would not have to be eternally separated from our Heavenly Father if we would accept that free gift. But there's another invite in God's light because many of you here may have accepted that light of Christ but you may find that you are not necessarily letting that light shine. So first the Lord invites us to accept the light, and then he tells us that when we are his children and his disciples, that we are to shine that light in a very dark and needy world. Philippians talks about how crooked the world is, but that we are to shine as lights and to hold forth the word of God for those who are living in a dark and a needy world. Well, when we have an invite, we have an opportunity to respond to that invite, and we can say yes, or we can say no. Many of you are here tonight because you received an invitation from someone, and they invited you to come, and you, you came, so I assume you said yes. Uh, but if you, if many probably said no. There might have been many people that you've invited who didn't come uh, tonight. So when we have an invitation, we have an opportunity to say yes or to say uh, no. So yes to Christ, and then once we have Christ, yes to letting our light shine for his glory and for his honor. Christians who do not have a changed life or do not live like Christians, and you know, we live in a world filled with harsh critics, I hear all the time, and you probably too, I hear all the time that people think Christians are hypocrites uh, because they see us going to church and carrying our Bible, and yet when we're in our neighborhood, we're nasty to one another, and they're like, wow, you're a Christian? Like, you're a hypocrite is what you are. And sometimes there's a credibility gap between what we profess and who we profess to know and how we live our lives. The German atheist philosopher Nietzsche once said that if he saw more redeemed people, he would be more inclined to believe in their redeemer. It's powerful. It's a powerful statement. This makes sense. If I try to tell you how great my car mechanic is, and you look at my car, and you see my car belching black smoke from the exhaust, you probably would be reluctant to trust your car to my car mechanic. And that's what Nietzsche was saying, although much more profoundly than I'm saying it. He was saying that if he saw more redeemed people, he might be more inclined to believe in their redeemer. So we have an opportunity to let our light shine, or we have an opportunity uh, to hide our light. So are we going to accept the invitation to let our light shine or are we going to hide it under a bushel? And there's no value in having a light that you hide under a bushel for no one to see. So we have a few options as to how we can respond. Now, maybe you're here tonight and you have realized that you're not walking in the true light. 
Well, we can do something about that, and in a minute I'll say what we can do about that. Or maybe you've accepted the light and you've realized that you have walked away and that you have strayed from walking in the light and you walk more in the dimness or the darkness of the world's invitations. And the invitation here from the Lord is to come back. It's simple, simply Christmas. Come back, come back. I've not moved, the, the Lord is saying. You have, come back and let's do this the right way so that we can let our light shine in such a way that others may see our good works and how they glorify God. Again, it's not about us. It's not to glorify us, ourselves. It's to glorify God. So the invitation is to come back into the light and to live your life pleasing unto the Lord and to so let your life shine that others may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So the magnificent power of light to illuminate, to inspire, to invite, all these three things, and yet they do it very differently. I mentioned in the beginning that I enjoy riding around the neighborhoods looking at the lights, and one time I took my friend's children on this little safari, I called it the zoo, let's go to the zoo lights, because we were in the cage and the lights were roaming free. And so we went for this, this opportunity, and at the end of, of one of our trails that was just beautifully lit, the little boy, one of the little boys said to me, sweet. He just loved the light, sweet. And I said to him, you just quoted Ecclesiastes 11.7, because Ecclesiastes 11.7 says that the light is sweet, and it pleases our eyes to see the sun, S-U-N, lowercase sun, S-U-N. But the truth is that Jesus Christ is the light, all capital letters here, and, and he is the light of the world. And when we trust him, the sun, S-O-N, it is truly sweet. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. We sing about this from time to time. Well, before I end tonight, I want to conclude with the gospel of the sweet light of Christmas. And I want to share my rendition of the power of God's light through chocolate. Kelly mentioned in her introduction that I like chocolate. And so I'm going to use chocolate to tell the gospel story. Please don't hear this as any disrespect to a very serious uh, message from Scripture. I think God gives us object lessons and that when we see the lights, that's an object. Hopefully you'll think about God's light. And then after I tell you about the gospel through candy bars, uh, maybe you'll look at candy and you'll think differently uh, about your spiritual condition. Well, we know from the Gospels that Joseph, Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Now I'm taking that right from the Gospels. And the rest I'm taking from the Gospels, except for the candy bars. But it's still the Gospel account. And so here we go. And so there was, in that same country, shepherds abiding uh, in the... I'm sorry, I want to go back. Sorry about that. 
I was thinking the shepherd hooks would be animated, but they're not. But they're shepherds. The candy canes are shepherds. And they were abiding in the field, busily watching over their flocks during what I believe was a crunch time of year. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a life savior, which is Christ the Lord. And so the shepherds went with haste to find Mary and Joseph and the baby who was born from the lineage of Ruth lying in a manger. For some time after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary stayed with him in Bethlehem, and another visit was made to Jesus by men from a faraway land. In a country east of Judea were living some very wise musketeer-like men who studied the, the stars. And one night they said, look, up in the Milky Way, a star, perhaps near Mars. And in some way, they learned that the coming of this star meant that a king was soon to be born in the land of Judea, and so they went to the land to see this newborn king. The news of their coming was sent to King Herod. Herod was a wicked, cruel, and nutrageous kind of king, and he made up his mind to kill this new king, for he feared that if this new king came to be, he would lose his own kingdom. So he told the wise men to bring back news as to where exactly this new baby was born. But God told the wise men through a dream not to go back by way of Herod, but to return home another way. So Jesus' life was spared, and he grew up in the city of Nazareth where he impressed the scholars of the day because he was such a smarty. But as an adult, Jesus was, was betrayed for a few coins, and as a result, he walked the rocky road to Calvary, where he was crucified and died for the sins of all mankind. But the good news, and this one's a stretch, but hang with me, but the good news is that three days later, it was declared that he hath reason. <laughs> So Jesus died on the cross for the sins of all mankind and rose again from the dead. And here's the part. He did this for Big Mo, for Mike and Ike, and for you, and for me. Yeah. And among mankind, there is no Mr. Goodbar. No, not Uno, because every one of us sitting here tonight has said things, has done things, has thought things that are wrong and in essence have sinned. And the Bible says that the payment or the wages of sin is death. So why not now and not later taste and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ it will take you less than five minutes to believe in the rock of our salvation. You cannot pay one piece of penny candy to gain entrance into heaven because Jesus paid it, paid it all. <laughs> and if you accept Jesus as your personal savior, the angels will sing a symphony in heaven 
and you will have life good and plenty because Jesus came to give us life abundantly. And you will gain heaven as your eternal home where I can promise that you will walk, and I can promise this from Scripture, on streets of gold that are far grander than Fifth Avenue. And that is for certain. (laughs) This is not just a sweet tooth story. It's the sweet truth of the gospel of God's word and in the sun, the light of the world. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. If you do, you will become his valentine, his sweetheart. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He died on a cross. Whoever believes in that sacrifice, that free gift, will be forever in heaven with our heavenly father. You know, just because you are a Christian or you become a Christian does not mean that the dark light will no longer shine. There will be dark times that come our way. But it does mean this, that when the dark times come our way, if we know Jesus Christ as our personal savior, we will have a God-made light, Jesus Christ, who will offer us hope through the valleys that no artificial man-made light can ever offer to us. One day, Louisa Stead was picnicking with her husband and her daughter, Lily, on Long Island Sound. And during their picnic, they heard a young boy in the water crying for help. Louisa's husband went to the aid of the boy and in the process drowned along with the child in the presence of his wife, Louisa, and his daughter, Lily. They watched helplessly. Louisa's husband's death left her destitute and with no means to support herself and Lily. The dark days had come. Each day she would pray that God would provide. And weeks later, someone left a box of provisions on her doorstep, which included food and a much-needed pair of shoes for her daughter Lily. And it was that night that Louisa Stead pen the words to the hymn, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." To trust the Lord, we have to know the Lord. To know him, we have to take him at his word. To take him at his word means we have to read his word or hear it. And then we can rest assuredly in him because Psalm tells us that he is our light and our salvation. So during this Christmas season, let's not simply be amazed by the bright and sweet lights of the season. Rather, may we accept the free gift of salvation paid in full by the light of the world. And then may we truly reflect his light in a dark and crooked world which so needs the true light of the world. This is simply Christmas. This is celebrating the true light of Christmas. God bless you.